Welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and over-evaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect, just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Sports Forecasters Podcast. We are your hosts, Nathan and Nick. How's it going? Excellent. Lots of anticipation coming into this weekend. Biggest sporting event of the year in general. Super Bowl is just around the corner. Lots of people making their guesses, best predictions of different factors, and we're going to look at that. But we're not going to start off there today, folks. We're going to start off with the coaching carousel. It looks like it's starting to come to a halt. It looks like everyone's going to have their places settled. And Nathan and I want to look at these new coaches and Nathan, what are we going to do with these new coaches today? Well, we know basically who everyone hired. Uh, the only one pending is Kevin O'Connell of the Vikings. It's basically set in stone. We're just uh, due to the Super Bowl. They're letting this, you know, Kevin O'Connell coach the Super Bowl before they announce that, which I respect, um, unlike college football. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see that through. But yeah, we're just going to go team by team. We're going to rank these one through nine. Um, who we think is going to have the most success at that said job. So to me, I have certain criteria looking look at a coach. Criteria for a good coach. If they're, let's say, if they were a head coach before and they had recent success as a head coach before, that's that's a, a good green light for me. Success before as a head coach. Another one is I is a guy that maybe doesn't have any head coaching experience, but he's had success at several different places as a coordinator, as an assistant, under a lot of different coaches and the main reason i say that is because i think a head coach can really make coordinators look good but if if, I, if there's an, a coordinator assistant that has jumped around the league a lot and has been successful at several different places with different people um, then i know he brings a lot of value to that team so then that that's a good criteria for me for a potential good head coach and then the last criteria i have is not to be stereotypical or judgmental or anything, but it's just a young guy and with an innovative mind. Um, it seems to be the trend lately. Not only the trend, it seems to be the successful trend, especially innovative and creative coaching minds tend to have had the mo most success in the league. And then on top of it, I just think like, the younger guy is probably the more likely you're going to have that. There are exceptions to that, but that's kind of where I'm going with that. So criteria for a bad coach, um, little to no recent success as a head coach. So maybe they've had recent head coaching experience that wasn't good or no success at all as a head coach. Maybe a coordinator, a very like offensive coordinator, offensive assistant, assistant at very few places. Like they've been only at one place their entire career um, under one or two head coaches their entire career. So it's hard for me to say whether or not that's their success is be from them or from the guy above them, the head coach, if they've only really been most of the career under that one coach. I like a guy that's jumped around and has had success with in multiple areas and situations. 
And I just don't like the old school minded coaches. So I think lately we've seen those kind of people uh, fall off the map a bit. I think uh, Pete Carroll is the number one guy I can think of. I think even Sean Payton the last few years have has kind of been like that. Mike McCarthy, I think he's he's been saved by his uh, young offensive minded coordinator for their success. But um, these old kind of school minded like coaches don't seem to fit well lately and because i think there's a there's a they have to relate a lot to the young generation of 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 gen z athletes coming into the league so so that's another criteria i have and and then in general for both just i gotta look at the roster that they're inheriting and and just the health of the organization in general is this an organization that's strong and consistent and healthy and built or is it one that's on shaky ground so I also consider that. So those are my criteria. Those are the things I'm going to keep in mind of why and how I've ranked my coaches. Yeah, very comprehensive list of what we're looking at in particular. And a lot of those factors that you touched on are ones I've also looked at as well. How we're going to do this is we're not going to go, what's your one? What's my one? What we're going to do, we're just going to go through the cities alphabetically. And we're just going to say the coach and say where we rank them. And so we'll give a little spiel of why we have them where we have them ranked at that moment. We're going to go ahead and start with the Windy City of Chicago, where the Bears have hired Matt Eberflus. The defensive coordinator of the Colts comes into Chicago as their new head coach. Nathan, what's your thought of this hire? So I have him ranked five of nine. The reason I have him about the middle of the pack I, th- I think the Bears roster is not that bad. Um, so that's the kind of that first thing. I think it's it's a it's a Chicago Bears. It's a, a franchise known for just kind of its blue collarness, toughness. And it's just it's a good organization in general. It's got a history. Um, I think it's got a decent roster. He's got a young quarterback there he can really work with. It's not like he's dealing with like a an Andy Dalton situation or someone that's just kind of a veteran that they're just they don't really have a replacement for. So he gets he gets that uh, as a, as a good tool to work with. Obviously, he doesn't have any head coaching success or experience, so that's a concern. He he did have I think he did a really good job with the Colts defense, so I'm giving him a little credit there. But um, the young, innovative mind, I like a more of an offensive mind that seems to really be what's been the most successful now. I mean, look at the four head coaches that made it to the conference championship. Like Zach Taylor, he's been a QB coach and offensive coordinator. Boom. Andy Reid, do I need to say? Probably one of the most innovative offensive minds we've had in the game. Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, right? Two very offensive-minded guys, right? There's no defensive head coaches, and this guy is heavy on defense. So it's just something that hasn't really been too super successful in the league lately. That's why I have him around the, the ranked five. My rank for him is a not because of what he can accomplish, but mostly because of what the roster could potentially lose. They have a lot of defensive players possibly go, but um, bigger names, Akeem Hicks. Um, Bruce Irvin hasn't been as big of a name as he once was when he was with the Seahawks, but Ogletree could potentially go, Allen Robinson, and then a few offensive line guys. And the, the plus side for the Bears is they do get to retain David Montgomery, which is going to be huge. For Justin Fields to develop if he ends up being their guy they decide that's who they're going to go with so my ranking for him is unfair for him in terms of what kind of job he could accomplish but my ranking for him being number eight really comes down to the roster and just how dysfunctional they could look at times I know Justin Fields had moments where he was very dynamic but also had some injury concerns throughout the season 
And when you're losing some veteran leadership on the defensive side, it just, the roster could look very different, but with him being a defense coach, maybe that's where his moment to shine is. He gets to bring in a lot of guys that fit his system better with that turnover. So that eight is a little harsh, so he might have a turnaround there, but we'll see. Moving on to our next team here, going again in alphabetical order, we got the Denver Broncos hiring Nathaniel Hackett, who was the offensive coordinator for the Packers, looking to go in the Rocky Mountains, make some noise. Nathan, where? Well, I, I, him and uh, Matt were back and forth for me, but I ended up putting Nathaniel Hackett at four and Matt at five. I think Nathaniel Hackett is uh, maybe inheriting a little bit of a better team, not significantly better. I think both franchises good defenses weak at the quarterback i think the bears have a little less weapons on the outside broncos have a little bit more weapons but i give nathan nathaniel hack of the edge he's more of an offensive mind i still think he's a little old school coach but he did coach under the floor which i who i really like so coming from that background more offensive minded a little bit of a better roster i think that's why i give him the edge over matt but i still put him in the middle of the pack though regarding success overall yeah, I have him at four as well. Big caveat would be what he ends up with quarterback because that roster definitely had talent. The receivers were very good. It just they didn't have a guy that could get him the ball. Noah Fant became almost a no-name this season when the season before he was a big fantasy player for a lot of teams. So they don't look to be losing as much in terms of quote-unquote big names on their roster. They Every team has anyone that can come off the books, but looking at their potential free agents, I like where that roster stands for him coming in. Nathaniel Hackett definitely showed some level of success in Green Bay being the offensive coordinator. Yes, you had Aaron Rodgers, but I think he w- was able to take some things from LeFleur and having a good system in place. So hopefully that translates for the Broncos because that's what they're really looking for is a step up in the offensive direction. Obviously defense is going to look different because he's bringing in his own guys, but I have met four as well. Moving on to our next team is going to be the Houston Texans who hired Lovey Smith. Nathan, what are your thoughts on Lovey Smith and where do you rank him? Uh, he's dead last. <laughs> he basically checks all the criteria for the bad coach. Little to no recent success as a head coach. Yes, he went to the Super Bowl, but dude, that was decades ago. His recent success as a head coach, University of Illinois, give me a break. I mean, he was defense coordinator for the Texans this year, and they had the worst, the worst defense. Now, I know it's the Texans, but but still, it, it's just, I don't know what's going on in Houston. That was such a weird hire. It's like you fire a guy after a year just to only promote one of his assistants. That make, makes no sense. It's like if you're going to promote his assistant, why wouldn't you just at least give him a couple years then if you're just going to keep one of his guys there? I don't understand that. Coordinator at very few places under one head coach. Um, well, he was a coordinator at the Texans and sucked. Old school minded? Yep, very much so. Um, roster organization they're inheriting? Terrible. So, yeah, Lovey Smith will, won't last very long. Lovey Smith is definitely the bottom in terms of my coaches as well. He just, he's there, but I don't know how many really believe he's going to be the long-term answer. It's just, he's a stopgap coach. I don't know who or what they're looking for. Like Nathan said, you need to give a gentleman a few seasons before deciding you're going to kick him to the curb. I don't know that you're solving whatever problem you saw with the organization or the team being run, but this is, in my opinion, not going to fix it. Love you, Smith. They're going to try to be a competitive team, but I just ultimately think he's going to be 
the least successful of these hires. We're going to move on now to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that we had pegged for a very long time of losing their coach. We just didn't think they were going to lose the coach in the style they did, but it's happened. It's over. They have brought in a guy that brought many success and a smile to my face from Philadelphia. Doug Peterson comes to Jacksonville to coach the Jaguars. Where do you have them ranked, Nathan? I have Doug Peterson ranked at number three. Um, I think... Look at the the criteria. Successful before as a head coach? Absolutely. The dude won a Super Bowl not that long ago. Let's not forget that. Um, successful at multiple places as a coordinator and assistant? That I don't know much about, honestly, but the dude won a Super Bowl, so I don't really care about that second criteria. Young, innovative mind. He's not young, but I think he's got a very uh, offensive, innovative mind that he took a, uh, a Carson Wentz into an MVP candidate until he got hurt. Now he gets uh, Trevor Lawrence at the at the helm. I feel like, dude, that's like a gift for Doug to really work with. And the roster he's inheriting, Jacksonville is not a bad team. Uh, I know they were they had a lot of injuries this year, but they've got a really good defense. Actually, they got a lot of good players on the defensive end, so I'm not really worried about that. I'm glad they got an offensive guy because I feel like that's where they need the help, but. They have a lot of young talent there. It's just putting it together. And so I think Doug, I think Doug Peterson can do that. Um, I thought he was going to go to the Dolphins initially. Um, that was my way initial guess before I knew any reports or anything. But I feel like the Jaguars are a similar version of Miami, just worse at it. It's like a, a pretty good defense and a very subpar offense. And I think Doug Peterson is good for the job. So I, I, I think he'll have some success success there, especially they're in a week a weaker division, right? Texans, uh, Titans, well, I mean, they won the AFC South, but I think it's pretty unanimous that they're probably not even a top three or four team in the AFC next year. Uh, Colts, and we don't know what's going to happen to them right now with Carson Wentz's situation. So I think, I think he could find some, some really good success there. I also have Doug at three. A big reason I have him there is simply the young roster he has that he can mold. It's very similar to the situation he had at Philadelphia. Not to say he will have the same level of success. Obviously, as a if you're a Jaguars fan, you hope for that. But when he comes in and the roster is very young and it's very easy to shift it and mold it to what you need to, you're not cap-stricken. You can have a lot of stay and a lot of maneuvering, it makes it easier for you to have success. I think the first season may have a little bit of bumps in it, but I think you're going to, if Jacksonville can stay patient, I think he can be a very good head coach for you. And like Nathan said, his history shows that he's had success in Philadelphia. I know the last season didn't go the greatest, but all in all, it wasn't too bad. They were still in the playoff hunt, albeit a very bad NFC East the last season he was the head coach. But still was in somewhat of contention even despite all the turmoil going on. So he definitely can garner respect of the young men in the locker room, I think, by having the pedigree of having a Super Bowl. So a lot of promise, especially with Jacksonville's young quarterback who's looking to be molded and put in a position of success. So I have Doug Peterson at three as well. Moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, Quite honestly, a surprising move that they didn't stick with their interim head coach, but Josh McDaniels gets the head coaching gig. What are your thoughts on that, Nathan? Terrible. Um, I have him at seven here. The only reason I have him at seven and not like last is because, well, Lovey Smith's on this list. 
I have him above who I have at number eight. We'll talk about in a second because he's offensive minded. I thought he did a pretty good job with Mac Jones um, in New England, but that's the only reason he's bumped up a couple from last place. But other than that, it's he's had a chance at a head coach. Kind of not didn't do so well in Denver, and then he totally ghosted the Colts when he got was supposed to be the head coach there. Um, I think that's whatever. I don't know what happened there, but just. It just seemed very like a, a poor, hand, poorly handled situation on his part. The one thing I said, coordinator, very few places under one head coach. I mean, he's the poster child for this criteria. You know, the only time he's ever had success is when Bill Belichick's on the sideline with him. Other than that, he really hasn't had much success. So, how much is it him him bringing value, or is how much is it just Bill Belichick able to pull the value out of him? So. Um, and then, but he's inherited a pretty good roster. So that's, that, I, that's in his favor. But, um, I think when his, when his boy Belichick's not on the sideline with him, I think Josh McDaniels has proven that he's just not quite the guy. So I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's going to be too successful there. And plus it's Vegas right now. It's like putting a football team in Vegas seems like the worst idea in the world, even worse than putting two super, two football teams in Los Angeles. Yeah, for me, Josh McDaniels is only at number six for my list simply because of the other coaches. I've The coach that's below him is only because of the situation he's going into. For me, Josh McDaniels is, yeah, like Nathan said, he's been the coordinator for one spot. So, and in one of the best run franchises in the last 20 years, uh, there, I don't know many people that can really argue that with the number of Super Bowl wins and just success they've had to make the postseason or winning their division. So him coming from that to his own team, he's already had experience with that, and it did not go well. Maybe he learned from it, but like Nathan alluded to, that whole Colts maneuvering, it just put a sour taste in my mouth for you to accept the position then get cold feet within, I forget what the span of time was. We'll just say 24 hours for the sake of moving on just not a lot of faith not a lot of good things that happened when you were the head cheese or the guy in charge so for me i put him down at number six he's not lower simply because of situations below him all right moving on to our next team our next team that we're looking at is nathan's favorite team in the miami dolphins who hired mike mcdaniel the 49ers offensive coordinator Nathan, what are your thoughts on Mike McDaniel taking over for Miami? I know people probably think I'm biased, but I have this actually number one. <laughs> um, and here's why. The Dolphins roster really is not that bad. Well, it's actually fantastic. It, the only question mark they have is literally the quarterback. If Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, or even Tom Brady like came out of retirement and was the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, they're probably favored to win that division, even over Buffalo. I, and I'm not even being sarcastic about that. That defense was top five at the end of the year. It really came together. Don't forget, they won eight of nine games to end their season. Eight of nine games to end their season. Seven of those were in a row. So one of two teams that had a seven-plus winning streak this year. So let's let's not forget about that. I mean, I didn't think Brian Flores should have got fired. Um, I think he's a very good head coach. I think there was just some relationship issues there, which is the reason why he got booted. But Mike McDaniel comes in. Has he been a head coach before? No. So I can't judge him on that criteria. Success at multiple places as a coordinator assistant. 
Absolutely. So he was with the Denver Broncos in 2005 when they went, uh, I think, 13-3 and that year. Jumped around a bit. He landed in, I think, well, eventually in Atlanta, um, where he was um, an offensive assistant of some sort, where they went to the Super Bowl. And then he went to San Francisco, where he went to another Super Bowl. Also, you know, took the San Francisco team to NFC Championship two of the last three years. One of them went to the Super Bowl, and I think he made Jimmy G way better than what he really was. He turned Debo Samuel into some like Swiss Army knife that I think should be MVP that I've been vying for. I'm off fair at least. I don't know if I've been saying that on air. So he's has, he's had success in several different places, and he's part of the Mike McD- Mike uh, Shanahan tree. And right now the Mike Shanahan tree is on fire. Lafleur and McVeigh, and obviously his son Kyle Shanahan. It's just, and obviously young, innovative mind. I've been reading a lot. People say he's literally the most innovative football guy you can be around. He's super creative, and you can kind of see the San Francisco. He had to be, and that's why they had so much success. I felt like there because of their innovation to really get the best out of their players. It's like Debo Samuel was like, you know, yeah, you're a receiver, but like we're going to use you so many different ways. Just utilize your athleticism. And I'm like, Jalen Waddle is that guy. I even think he's going to get a lot of a, a lot of Tua. So I saw this thing. He talked about all the quarterbacks that he had, and they all played their best years when he was the coach there. Jake Plummer in Denver to uh, Matt Ryan in Atlanta when Matt Ryan went to the Super Bowl and won the MVP. Mike Bandana was the quarterback's coach um, at the time. And then in San Francisco, I mean, Jimmy G the, went to the NFC Championship two of the three years. So just – he he's had success everywhere he's gone. So and I so I, I this is my number one guy. Dolphins have went back to back seasons with a winning record, and I just think it's the thing that was really holding them back was the relationship with the head coach and ownership. But hopefully this, I'm assuming this will fix it, and he brings a lot of cool stuff to the table. So I'm excited. Maybe I'm being a little biased, but I'm excited. I don't think you're too far off. I have him at number two. Mike McDaniel definitely showed. A lot of ingenuity and innovation, which I think that good relationship, as you alluded to, will help the Dolphins. I don't like saying the word more successful because I felt like the success they had was good, but maybe more the success that fans are hoping to see of making the playoffs or hitting it, getting the playoffs and not having those lulls in offense. So I think he brings something here and he's definitely shown that he can help elevate a quarterback or put a quarterback in the best positions possible when in those given situations, whether that's having your wide receiver do a lot of end arounds to run the ball a bit more or having a good rotation of running backs and everything like that. And I understand that Kyle had a hand in that as well. But Mike has been, as Nathan said, in a lot of good systems and a lot of things have went well for it. And so seeing that success year after year in different environments with different teams and different franchises and different rosters definitely gives you a sense of better times ahead. So for me, Miami's hire of Mike McDaniel has him at the has him at the number two spot as a coaching hire for this upcoming season. Moving on, we have the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings have not officially made O'Connell their head coach yet, but as Nathan said off the top, it's probably more it's more of a formality at this point simply because until the Super Bowl is over, they can't officially announce it. Nathan, what are your thoughts on O'Connell taking over in Minnesota? This is my number two guy, Shanahan Tree. So just like Mike McDaniel, 
just he's had success in a lot of different places from that same tree that's really having a lot of success right now so i have to give that a lot of weight and a lot of credit can't really use the head coach criteria because he wasn't one young innovative offensive mind i mean just to a t um, i was just searching his dad was an fbi agent that's got to play a benefit right like dude he's got to be able to like be like reading defenses like none other and then the organization he's inheriting i mean the Vikings got a good roster, man. Kirk Cousins is not a bad quarterback. Um, got probably a top three receiver and a top three running back on the team if they can stay healthy. That's a plus. So, and then they're in the NFC North. Uh, you're with a Packer organization that doesn't know who the figure of Aaron Rodgers. And the Bears and the Lions aren't going to be too difficult to beat. So, I mean, he could win that division next year if Aaron Rodgers isn't in Green Bay. Uh, so... I think I think he's got a real good shot to have a lot of success right leaving his first year. Yeah, you and I just have our one and twos flipped around. I have Kevin O'Connell as the number one head coach hire this season. All the reasons you said, I really like Minnesota's roster. They have a lot of offensive talent, being innovative or getting the most out of the players and putting them in the best situations. And Minnesota's roster looks really good. They lack that push over the hill or that spark to help them make that make that playoff run or just get into the playoffs simply you have Kirk Cousins a very capable quarterback very familiar type of quarterback he's dealt with whether you want to use Jared Goff I I think he's better than Jared Goff but he's somewhere between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford just slightly behind Matthew Stafford or in some regards above Matthew Stafford it just depends what game you get but Kirk Cousins definitely has a lot of talent you have a very good running back Dalvin Cook and I think they've seen more and more we need to make sure we have guys behind them and They've been stepping up with Mattinson stepping in. He looked very promising. Justin Jefferson is very dynamic. Adam Thielen is your grinder. He'll do whatever you need him to do. And so that roster just looks really good for him as an offensive coordinator. And I'm pretty confident that potential coordinators defensive-wise are going to see that, and they're going to be ready to jump ship to go with him to help build that franchise. And like Nathan said, who knows what this division will look like. He very well could be walking in a situation where – he really just has to make sure he minds his P's and Q's, and he could be looking at a division title for the NFC North if things fall the right way. Moving on, we have two teams left here. We have the New Orleans Saints and the New York Giants. Obviously, alphabetical order, we go with the New Orleans Saints hiring Dennis Allen as their head coach. What are your thoughts, Nathan? Uh, this is my number eight of nine, and the only reason I have him above Lovey Smith it's just because I feel like he's inheriting a little bit of a better roster than Houston. But very much like Lovey Smith, used to be a head coach, sucked, defensive-minded, old school. I, I don't know what this hire was. This was stupid. It's like Brian Flores was on the market. For both of these teams, Brian Flores is on the market. And you're going to pass bypass them to like promote your defensive coordinator in a, in a league where young, innovative minds are really excelling. This seems stupid. Like, I don't understand. So, uh, yeah, number eight, Saints are going to suck. I have it at number seven, and really it's a coin flip between him being seven or eight as well for me. I just have him at seven because I already put Chicago at number eight. They're a new head coach. So, Dennis Allen being there, like you said, he just he did not do a good job when he was with the Raiders. Hopefully he learned from it. I do understand the hire on the Saints part. They want to keep some continuity with what they had with Sean Payton and maybe some of Sean Payton's like roster magic rubbed off on him. But he's going to have 
a rough roster because their salary cap situation, quite frankly, is really bad. And so what are they going to keep? What are they not going to keep? How are, How is it going to look? What is he going to do? And it's just a lot of question marks. And the more I talk, the more it sounds like I should have put him lower. He's definitely not going to be a nine. Levy Smith's going to be there. But Dennis Allen being at number seven, I mean, that's where I'm going to keep him because I'm going to stick with what I have. List of integrity here. And then that leaves us our last team, the New York Football Giants, hiring Brian Danabal. He leaves the Buffalo Bills to take over as head coach for the New York Giants. What are your thoughts, Nathan? Yeah, I have him at six here, which is probably lower than what maybe people are expecting. I think people really like this hire. I don't, actually. I thought more about this. I'm really glad the Dolphins actually didn't get him. Uh, this is why. So uh, has he been a head coach? No, he has not. So I'm not going to, I can't hold that against him. Success at multiple places as a coordinator, coordinator and assistant. Well, he's been a coordinator and an assistant in several places. He's cut quite the resume, but let's go through this. Let's see here. Well, he was with the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So obviously he has success there. And then he went to the Jets, failed miserably. Then he went with the Browns. 2009, 2010, as uh, what was his position? Offense coordinator. Went 5 and 11 both years. Then he went with the Dolphins the f- next year as offense coordinator. He went 6 and 10 as offensive coordinator. And then he goes to Kansas City Chiefs the next year. Goes 2 and 14 as the offensive coordinator. <laughs> and then where does he go? Oh, back to the Patriots where he had success before. Okay. Bill Belichick. Common denominator there. Only success under one head coach. Other head coaches failed miserably. That's a criteria for a bad head coach, according to my list. And then he was the office coordinator at Alabama. Obviously, doing really good there. Hmm, head coach, Nick Saban. You know, him and Bill Belichick are from the same coaching tree. So, the two greatest coaches of all time. Right there. Okay? You got to be a coordinator of two greatest coaches of all time. And those were the only times you had your best years. All the other times when you were under any other coach, you failed miserably. Like, not like, oh, eight and eight. You went like five wins. And then, of course, with the Bills, he's had some success. But even with the Bills, let's 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 just even look at this year. You lose your opening game and you put up 16 points to the Steelers. Right? And then you go on a stretch and you put up a ton of points. Just fine. But then you put six points up against Jacksonville. You put 15 points up against the Colts. You put 10 points up against New England. Like, you can't score 43 points. You can't score, you know, 35-plus points for four straight weeks and then put up six points, 15 points, and 10 points later on. That inconsistency is concerning to me in that offense. The defense was a lot more consistent. I think they had really only had one bad game, and that was against Indianapolis. Other than that, they've really held all their opponents under 20 points all season. And that's why their their win differential was so good, their point differential, because their defense was so good. The offense was just really, really good or really, really bad. It was just all over the place. That concerns me. So I, I just I don't think he's going to be any good. And then on top of it all, he's a Southern guy. Likes his big trucks with his big tires, and he's going to New York City. I mean, people, this is like Zach Wilson's like knock. Like, uh, I don't know if he's built for New York, and I don't think he is. Brian Dable, like, he's not. He's not built for this place. Like, he's 
he needs a southern team. He needs to be down south, or he needs to be under owner. It's more of a blue collar team. I feel like like New England was like that cold weather, like just very blue collar, or Alabama. The only two places he honestly has ever had success, and then Buffalo, very blue collar. But New York City, give me a break. This this isn't gonna work. It really isn't. I don't understand because they they just tried Joe Judge under the Bill Belichick tree and Brian Dable is under that Bill Belichick tree. I I don't understand. And then the roster is really bad there in New York. So I think this is a a, a very bad three year experience for for Brian. Yeah, I have him at number five. And quite honestly, when Nathan and I were doing our list, we're both of us felt confident in who we were putting at the bottom and who we were putting at the tippy top. And he's in the middle. And honestly, for me, it's just how how do these teams come out of the wash? What does it look like? And for Brian, on paper, you have good players on the offensive side of the ball. You have good receivers. But are you really going to be able to mold Daniel Jones to be productive, effective, and efficient quarterback? Because I think there's that ability there. I'm, but it hasn't materialized whatsoever. And then defensive side of the ball... I would say for the most part, New York's been pretty sound about that. So what are we going to see here? What's going to come out of all this? And that's always been the question mark with any of these. You have an aging running back in Saquon. What is that going to look like? What are you going to do with that? And so it's a lot of how are you going to deal with what you have or how are you going to clean out the cabinets to get ready for your time here in New York? And what kind of time will he get in New York will be the other question that I would have for this whole position. But really, having him at five, that's more or less just a process of elimination, quite honestly, for me. Like, after I put who I did at the bottom, who I put at the top, it's just kind of like, you're about in the middle with all these hires. Where you finish when it comes down to the end of the season, we'll see. But no real strong feeling about him, just guy in the middle based on all nine hires. Now, after looking at these head coaches that have just been hired by these teams, because generally when you're hired by a new team, you're, the team you're coming into wasn't successful. But let's talk about the two teams that are very successful this season, the ones that are meeting here in the Super Bowl. We have the Los Angeles Rams playing the away team against the Cincinnati Bengals, who are the home team at the Rams stadium. So looking at the Super Bowl, let's first look at what are our thoughts, what are our takeaways from how these teams arrived to the Super Bowl. Let's go ahead and talk about the team that Nathan and I, quite frankly, didn't give much of a chance in the Cincinnati Bengals. Nathan, give us your takeaways or your thoughts on the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl. I think in general, this is a lot. This just reminds me of that 2001 Patriots team when Tom Brady, young, young Tom Brady, just took a a team that, no, everyone kind of dismissed their underdogs every single game all the way up to the Super Bowl. And they even played the Rams in the Super Bowl. Just no one thought they were going to be any good. And it's you know how Peyton Manning came to get the starting position is because the quarterback got hurt and he replaced him. But like Joe Burrow like literally replaced himself. Like he got hurt. But then this year was him replacing himself and taking this team that everyone thought was just going to have a handful of wins literally to the Super Bowl. It's crazy to even think this. And this is why I think Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady. It's just they they have a similar path. This underdog mentality. I read a story today of like, at what point did you realize like Joe Burrow was your guy at quarterback? 
And it was just like this middle linebacker at LSU just like hit Joe late and was like smash talking him. And Joe Burrow stood up and like fought him back and stood his own ground. And I guess it got everyone all fired up and actually ended the practice because everyone ended in a fight. But that's when his teammates do like this guy was for real. He didn't care who got in his way. And though he's kind of an underdog and, and not very good at the time, they knew he was going to get there. And eventually the year after that is when he went on and won the Heisman and the, and had probably the greatest quarterback season ever in college football. And there's been a lot of good college football seasons. And so I think him and, and Brady have similar path. I just think Burrow found that success in college where Brady found that success after college. But both kind of like, yeah, you know, I got to transfer out of Ohio State and kind of start from the bottom. And Burrow knows what it's like. He's, he's It's his life. Like, this is nothing to him. And his leadership rubs off of everyone. And they they now have that mentality of, like, embracing that underdog. Just like Tom Brady did is when he went his first Super Bowl. Just everyone just, like, believed in him. It's like. They didn't care he was an underdog. He felt like he could beat anybody. And it's just, I just see Tom Brady all over again. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to win seven Super Bowls, but I, I just don't think he's going to have the coaching that he needs to win that many. I think the brady Belichick combination was like the perfect marriage. The dude's amazing. I don't know why we overlooked that, man. <laughs> I feel stupid thinking about that now, but... Everyone was like saying they should have got the offensive lineman. It's like, dude, Chamar Chase, man, like... If they got like Slater or Panay Sewell, it's like give me a break. They want to be here. Like Jamar Chase is going to win Rookie of the Year. It was the best pick they could have had. Same thing with the Dolphins. I think picking up Jalen Waddle is a good pick. That chemistry with the quarterback is is what was needed. So, so yeah, I'm shocked, but like thinking about it, it's like oh, it makes sense. Uh, and then the Rams, uh, real quick, and I'll turn it to you. I don't have much to say here because these this was my NFC pick uh, for the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. So. I think everything kind of panned out the way I thought it did. They uh, kind of struggled there at the beginning or in the middle of the season, uh, but they really found their groove towards the end. Um, this really reminds me kind of like this. This team reminds me of the Buccaneers of last year, honestly. A team that just got a new quarterback, was was loaded with a lot of talent, struggled in the middle of the season, but then the last few games they really caught fire, and now here they are. They find themselves um, in the Super Bowl. And hosting the Super Bowl just like the Buccaneers last year, so I feel like which is which is weird because Tom Brady was the quarterback of the Buccaneers last year, and I feel like the Rams are like kind of kind of representing what the Buccaneers were last year, and, and Matthew Stafford is representing what Tom Brady was last year, and then Joe Burrow represents I feel like the young Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford's the old Tom Brady, the year that Tom Brady retires, so. Tom Brady finds himself in the Super Bowl somehow, some way. So it's just everything is being compared to Tom Brady and his teams. But yeah, that, that's kind of what I see. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts on this, first to start with the Bengals, obviously no one was picking them to be as successful, to win the division and to win multiple playoff games because for so many years when they did make it under Marvin, they would just get knocked out the first round in heartbreaking fashion. Heartbreaking in the sense that they never seemed to be in those games. They they were just getting destroyed. And so for this season to come out, and I have a close friend who's a big Bengals fan, and him and I are very grounded and 
maybe slightly more pessimistic about our teams. And he's just like, I just hope the Bengals don't embarrass themselves. Is all I kept hearing week after week. And when they start building momentum, he's like, I've kind of seen this story before. I don't know if I'm buying in. It was very impressive what they were able to string together the last few weeks of the season. Just offense was on fire and just putting up these ridiculous Madden-like numbers. They And they never lost themselves. They've always believed in themselves. They This is a team that rallies around every player on the team, rallies around each other to try to build each other up to be ready for the next thing. Many point to the offensive line being a huge problem and we can talk about that more once we get into our actual picks but for what the Bengals have done not that you want to just come to the Super Bowl and be like wow we've overachieved or whatever and be satisfied with that but they have I mean they cannot walk away from this season not saying they weren't a success or didn't find success in this and Joe Burrow has definitely had a lot of people believing in what he could bring in the future and for an NFL league where you're always looking for that next star when the biggest star of the last 20 seasons has retired you're always looking for the next star and i feel like some leagues nba is one that comes to mind doesn't always have that guy ready to step up right away and here in the nfl you have not only joe burrow he just happens to be at the super bowl but you have a plethora of young quarterbacks under the age of 27 that are there and look like they're going to make the league very exciting to watch. And so for Joe Burrow, it's kind of a culmination of whatever he, what he's been able to do at each level he's competed playing football. And hats off to the Bengals for what they've done. It's just been a thrilling ride to watch. It's very exciting to see, and it's a promising future if they can keep things going the way they are. Moving on to the Los Angeles Rams. And like Nathan said, this was a team both of us were high on. I didn't have them going to the Super Bowl like Nathan, but I was definitely high on them. And they're kind of the mold of how teams are constructed nowadays. They are that very aggressive. We're going to trade. We're not going to wait to develop these players. We'll develop some, but these big positions we are going to make moves for and get them there because these positions are cornerstones for our franchise to be successful. And Rams definitely have a, had a lull there in the middle of the season when they lost Robert Woods, signing Odell, trying to get him integrated. And that could have been a backbreaker for the team, but they just kept charging through. The Rams have shown their own level of resilience, even though they've been successful pretty much since McVay has been there. They had to deal with bringing all these new people in through trades, not bringing them in at the beginning of training camp where they get to grow with their team. It's they've had to bring them in and they had to learn on the fly. And so for that, that's a lot of grit. That's a lot of toughness. And there's times this season, it looked like they weren't going to make it here. And the fact that they were able to bounce back and win those games, Tampa Bay, they almost gave it away. Tampa Bay roared back in, but they pulled it together and won that game. San Francisco down by 10 going into the fourth quarter, able to pull ahead and win against a team they had not been able to beat since McVay had been there. It, both teams have their own things to be proud of, but one roster I feel has been building for this moment, season after season, with trade after trade, while the other team has come to the light a lot quicker than any of us could have seen. Always good matchup the Super Bowl. I don't know if there's ever been a Super Bowl matchup like, oh, that's garbage, I'm not going to watch it. There's always something compelling to bring you to these Super Bowl matchups. And so what Nathan and I are going to do is we're going to do what we did on our first episode when we did the Super Bowl so many moons ago, is we're going to look at not just the 
game and who's going to win and score, but we're going to look at different aspects of it. There's going to be a number of things we look at, and we're going to try to make our best guess on what we did. If I remember correctly, Nathan and I did not have a good record from the first episode of that, but we've grown, we studied the game, we've watched the ins and outs of this, and I think this time we should yield a better result. Also, we don't have the Kansas City Chiefs having a horrible offensive line getting destroyed, and no one saw that coming. Without further ado, let's look at the things we're going to make picks about. The first thing we're going to look at is which quarterback is going to throw for And Nathan, you can throw in a yard number if you want to or not, but what quarterback do you believe will throw for more yards in this Super Bowl? I am going with Matthew Stafford, and the reason I'm doing with, going with that is... Not only do I think the Rams' offensive line is better than the Bengals, but the defensive line that each of them are going to have to face is, uh, you know, the, I mean, Von Miller and Aaron Donald go down your throat. And then you got Jalen Ramsey out there and Eric uh, Weddle. I think Burroughs is by far the better quarterback and by far more has more potential to have more yards, but... Um, I think the Bengals' secondary and defensive line is weaker than the Rams, and their offensive line is better. Rams' offensive line is better than the Bengals. So because of that, that's the reason why Stafford has the most yards. Plus Stafford, dude, the, the Duke could throw the ball. I mean, these are two of the best deep throwers in the league, probably top two in like 30-plus yard reception, or throws, uh, receptions this year. So I got Stafford ultimately getting it with 300 and. 339 passing yards. I don't have Stafford getting the most yards, but it's going to be tight in my opinion. I actually have Joe Burrow getting it because I just think even though they have a good, solid running game, I think Burrow is going to be asked to do quite a bit more against this team. Not that he hasn't been asked to do a lot as it is, but I think Joe Burrow is going to have the most yards, and I think it's going to just be a smidge under 300 yards. No real rationale why, but I have it at 292, just a number I like. So 292 yards, I think Joe Burrow beats it. I think Stafford does throw very close to that amount, but in the end, Burrow has more yards because of other factors that will come up later in this. Next, we're going to look at what happens first, a sack or a turnover in the Super Bowl. What happens first, Nathan? Does a team get a sack? Which team? Or does a team get a turnover? And if you want, what kind of turnover? We're going to go with the sack. Aaron Donald sacks Joe Burrow. Uh, don't forget, Joe Burrow sacked nine times just a couple games ago. That offensive line is terrible. The, the Rams defense line is amazingly good. Plus, I think both these quarterbacks uh, tend to get sacked a lot. So I think that comes first, and I do think Aaron Donald sacks Joe Burrow. Yeah, this was one I went back and forth about as well because, I mean, you have a 50-50 shot of getting this. It's a coin toss in some regards. But you got to look at different factors because it's better than coin toss because you have different things to look at. And one of the big storylines coming in is the Bengals' offensive line is porous. It's not very good. And so everyone's jumping on that Burrow's going to get sacked. But Burrow, I feel like, is going to avoid it. Similar to how Mahomes was able to avoid it last Super Bowl by his mobility and his able ability to move. He's going to be really close to being sacked. Don't get me wrong. If we had who's going to be the closest to being sacked first, I'd have Burrow. But I'm going to have Stafford here because Stafford isn't a statue per se, but he is. he doesn't have the maneuverability that Burrow does right now or mobility that Burrow does right now. So I think Stafford's going to get sacked. So Cincinnati's going to get the first sack here. And in the postseason stats, um, the Bengals are the top team to get 
not sacks, but they're the top remaining team to get sacks. They've had eight sacks this postseason. So I think they get the first sack just simply because Matthew Stafford is going to, in my opinion, maybe overthink it at the beginning of the game and maybe freeze for a second and just going to do one of those. I'm going to kind of duck my head down and just give up the sack. Moving on, the first points of the Super Bowl, Nathan. What is it going to be? Touchdown, field goal, or something else? And by which team? No reason here. I think this is just a flip of a coin of a, you know, a six-sided coin. But I was just going to go with a Bengals field goal. No no reason. I don't know who's going to get the ball first. So, obviously, it's going to be random. So, Bengals field goal. I have the same compelling argument, but I have the Rams getting the field goal. Just making a, like you said, rolling the dice, Dungeon Dragon style, hoping I land the right one. Next, we're going to look at what player scores the first touchdown. Last year, Nathan and I were very high on certain players getting them, and that team scored zero touchdowns this season. We got to hit this, right? So what player scores the first touchdown of the Super Bowl? And I guess we would go with the caveat. If we say a quarterback, that's the assumption that the quarterback's running in for the touchdown. Yeah, I got a quarterback pass from Matthew Stafford to the Odell Beckham Jr. for a very deep touchdown pass. Um, I think that it will be the first touchdown of the game. I went more traditional with who I thought was going to get the first touchdown. It's going to be a running back. I really have, on my paper, I have Akers or Mixon, but I have to pick one. So I'm going to go with Joe Mixon. I say Joe Mixon gets the first touchdown. They get really close. They want to pound it in because they want to prove that offensive line isn't a joke. And so the Bengals get the first touchdown with Joe Mixon running in it. Going into the last part, this is the nitty-gritty. This is the big thing that hangs over your head for quite some time. Who wins the Super Bowl? What's the score? What's your thought on the spread? And to top it all off on that cake, what is your thought on the over and under? Just real quick, the spread is at 4.5 currently when we're recording, and the over-under is at 48. Or you have the floor, Nathan. Yeah, so I haven't really done much research on spreads and over-unders in the Super Bowl. I, I literally just based this off my algorithm. Um, a lot of different things of you know involved in that. So I'm do, I'm picking the over 48 and a half. I think uh, I have 51 points are scored in this game. So I'm going over the 48 and a half. And I'll just put it like this, man. I, I do think it's Bengals plus four and a half, but I don't think the Bengals win. I'm picking the Rams 27-24. I know we've been making all these Tom Brady comparisons to Joe Burrow and like if he would win the Super Bowl, it's like, gosh. But at the end of the day, I know we make these comparisons to uh, Joe Burrow to Tom Brady, but I, Joe Burrow won't be quite like Tom Brady at the end of the day if he may not even be close at the end of his career. But it's going to be hard to have another Tom Brady. And, and um, so I think we, he's got to be a little bit short of Tom Brady, and this is where he falls short. So I do think the Bengals lose. Uh, I just think there's something magical with the, the Rams right now and Stafford and just um, I think Stafford. I think Stafford gets the MVP. Gets uh, get his Super Bowl. Just stamp that Hall of Fame. Give him the Hall of Fame jacket, right? Just get that. Get that ring. So I, I just. I just think the Rams are too talented up front. I think. I think the Rams are going to dominate the line line of scrimmage, especially in the second half. I want to be surprised if the Bengals go into halftime with the lead. But I think that that the line of scrimmage is really going to go. It's going to favor the Rams in the second half, and I think that's where the Rams will get this game. I know the Rams have not been a very good second half team, so that scares me. But 
This is the weakest offensive line they've probably faced. So I got the Rams winning 27 to 24. And so I picked Bengals plus four and a half, and I'll pick the over 48.5. It all comes down to this. We have the Rams and the Bengals. And what I have here is in the Super Bowl, if a favorite wins, they in the last 13 years, the favorite has always been able to cover the spread. And I have the favorite winning. So because of that, I have to have a score that has them over four and a half points winning. Keep this continuity of the trend of the history of the Super Bowl. So what is the score going to be? Well, what I looked at was I looked at the last six Super Bowls to come up with some kind of average, the kind of pinpoint A score that I felt like, yeah, yeah, that seems reasonable. And the winning team on average, last six Super Bowls, throwing out the Eagles winning it because that was the highest scoring of the last six. When I did that average, it was around 26.6 points. So for me, I'm going to put the Rams at 28 points. I'm going to say they're going to slightly overachieve that that average and bump it up a little. Because like Nathan said, they have lulls. This Rams team has lulls. It's just when is that lull going to happen? Again, San Francisco, it looked like they were asleep for about two and a half quarters. And then the last quarter and a half, they woke up. When are the Rams going to have their lull? My guess would be somewhere around second, beginning of third is where that lull is going to hit. And that's going to be the time where the Bengals start to pounce, start to look like they're in control. And like Nathan said, they have a lot of firepower with the Rams. So I have a lot of faith in them. So I have the Rams getting 28 points. And I'm going to give Cincinnati a very respectable score of 20 points. Not quite close enough to make it a field goal type game because that's not usually how these Super Bowls go. Usually the average, uh, again, against across those six games is around 12 points. Again, that's really skewed, especially with like last year's Super Bowl. Last year's Super Bowl really skewed that number, but it's around 12 points. I don't think it's going to be over 12 points. So I have 28 Los Angeles, Cincinnati 20. Over and under. That speaks for itself. I have it really close to what they have at 48 and a half, but I'm at 48 points. That's where I'm sticking with that. So Rams win it. Bengals come a little bit short of the season, but their fans will probably be on cloud nine regardless how this game ends. Los Angeles Rams end up winning. I'm going to say Cooper Cup ends up being the Super Bowl MVP because he's going to make a lot of those big conversions they need down the stretch to pull ahead or solidify the win. And he's just going to be a big part of it. Not that Odell won't play a part. I mean, I could very well see him making a big statement of why he's back or why he never left. So Nathan and I both have the Rams. Nathan has the Bengals covering. I have the Rams covering the spread on their end. With that being said, those are our Super Bowl picks, folks. To wrap up this episode, we have a bit of news on the front of the sports forecasters. and I'll let the man himself deliver the news. Nathan. What's the news? Yeah, so I will be kind of stepping away a little bit from this podcast. Just different uh, things, priorities in life um, kind of prevent me from being more of a regular person on here. I do hope to be um, on here as, you know, once in a while as a guest, maybe some for some big events to I'll put on my sports analyst cap and uh, give some really some good intense feedback there on some games. So, um, but just need to kind of step away on a weekly basis to um, 
you know, just to to handle the other pro- more larger priorities in life right now with family and work and things like that. So, um, it's been a pleasure. Um, as always, I love doing this. I love talking sports, love following it and love sharing it with everyone. Uh, but, uh, just had to, I feel like I'm making my Tom Brady retirement here or something. Uh, never say never though. <laughs> so, but just at this moment, I just think it's a, it's a good idea that I step away just for, um, some time and, um, focus on other parts of, of, of my life that, that need focused on. So, um, it's all good, and I know Nick will continue to do this and um, do well with it and probably, you know, have a lot of guests on here, and hopefully I can be one of those um, down the road. So, so yeah, that's my news. And as heartbreaking as it is to hear the news that we're losing you, it goes without saying that this door is always open for you to come in whenever you want to or if things turn to where you feel wanting to come back doors always open here we uh, i appreciate what you've done for this podcast to exist because without you starting your own podcast and me hearing it and just kind of getting the spark of thinking well maybe i can finally pull the trigger so i for me i want to thank you for helping me take this step into this and being a part of this i mean you helped me learn a lot especially with spreads over unders money lines things i've never dreamed of looking at or touching that was very awesome to do and i've always enjoyed our banter and things to do and it's not we're done and i'm going to continue on like nathan said but nathan's just going to take a step back and just kind of pop in here and there when when his schedule allows it and we're going to keep going and delivering those things but you will definitely miss my man and thank you for being a part of it really appreciate it Absolutely. I feel like I'll probably pull a Brett Favre though and unretire like several times, but who knows? We'll see how life, how life goes. Oh, and that's why we always leave that door open for you, man. It's a, it's a sliding door that's unlocked at all times. So (laughs) with that being perfect. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yep. We do what we can. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that is our Super Bowl episode. Our first episode of season two so to speak. We're going to enjoy the Super Bowl. I'm sure we'll be messaging back and forth. This has been the Sports Forecasters. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the man, Nathan Singer, and I'm Nick Alvarez. We'll see you next time.